0: All right, let's stand back up if you if if you're willing and able. How's everybody feeling? Everybody feeling good? All right, let's pray just real quick. Lord, thank you for your anointing today. Thank you for the word uh that feeds our spirits and our lives. Father, I ask this morning for a powerful impartation of your spirit. That will bring us into deeper realms of truth and of your kingdom. And I give you thanks for everybody that's here, everybody that watches, everybody that's blessed by the teaching in Jesus name. If you can agree with that, just say amen and take your seat and open your Bibles. If you have them with you to the book of Second Corinthians 10, Second Corinthians 10. I'm going to talk about uh, gonna kind of pick up where I left off last week talking about I want to talk about the true nature of our warfare. The true nature of our warfare, uh, as told to us here by the Apostle Paul, two places in Second Corinthians. I want to begin in verse three. In verse three he says, For though we walk in the flesh in these human in this human realm, physical realm, we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. What is a stronghold? Uh, I want you to get the picture of the image with me of what a stronghold is. I don't know how many of you, this is going back a a while, uh, would have seen the two towers in the Lord of the Rings movie when they're fighting the battle for Helm's Deep. And there's this giant fortress. So in ancient cultures, you would have strongholds. You would, they would pick areas that would oftentimes be up high because if an enemy is coming to attack, it gives you the advantage uh, over them. And it would be secured with all kinds of, you know, there's various different ways that they would do it. But basically it would be a fortified city or a fortified place that if an enemy was going to invade, um, they would have a difficult time, right? Right? so that's the picture now if we ask ourselves that it's a it's a metaphor because obviously paul is not uh, arming his followers to go to battle against rome <laughs> right so it's a metaphor so we have to, have to ask ourselves what is the metaphor for <laughs> what is it representing and i was probably you know taught if anybody has ever gone to a spiritual warfare conference or heard teaching on spiritual warfare uh, or any kind of intercessory prayer. I mean, there for a long time, uh, and I'm going back, you know, to the 90s, early 2000s. Uh, you go to a conference on prayer, you'd learn more about the devil than you would about God. It made you wonder who we were praying to. <laughs> okay, I'll just leave that alone. Um, but, you know, you know, there was a recognition, I think, in the body of Christ that there is a warfare that we're involved in, right? And so we were trying to come to terms with what is the nature of that warfare. And there's just something about human beings that we like to externalize everything. Uh, particularly in the Western world, we like to make everything about something outside of us, right? And yet Paul goes on here and he, he defines for us what they are. He says he's these strongholds. What we're pulling down is we are casting down arguments. We're casting down arguments. The King James Version says we're casting down imaginations. We're casting down arguments, casting down imaginations, and every high thing, watch this, that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into submission to Christ. Now, I'm going to be picky with the language here, but I think it's important. There are times when Paul, in his writing, he talks about Jesus... There are times when he talks about Jesus Christ, and there are times that he talks about Christ. And we make them all synonymous with Jesus in our minds. But if you understand the revelation of the Apostle Paul, for him Christ always includes you. It's never Christ if it doesn't include you, particularly when that's the only term that he uses. If he wants to be specific to the person of Jesus, he says Jesus. He says the Lord, or the Lord Jesus Christ. But when he talks about Christ, and it's unfortunate in our translations, in the Greek there is often, when he talks about Christ, in the Greek there is often a definite article. A definite article in the English language is the word the. So oftentimes when we read Christ, what he's actually saying is the Christ. Because Christ is inclusive. So let me just give you some examples. If anyone is in Christ, He is a new creation, right? The old things have passed away. All things have become new. Uh, in Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, right? We have been made alive together with Him. We have been raised with Him. We have been seated with Him. Go home and read the book of Ephesians. Uh, Talk about spiritual warfare, Everybody would pull out Ephesians 6, 10 and 12, right? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, uh, all that stuff, right? Spiritual hosts of wickedness in high places. But you've got to read chapter 1 and 2 first. In chapter 1, he says, I'm praying you get an understanding and a revelation. You you come into the knowledge of the exaltation of Christ, of Jesus. In other words, I want you to see Jesus and his conquering power over death and his conquering power over the principalities and powers, and see him seated on the throne. It's interesting that in the Latin tradition of the church, the image that is projected to people is the crucifix. But Paul is saying the image he wants to put before the church is Christ not on the cross, but Christ conquering death and sitting on the throne. But then he goes on in chapter 2 and he says, But those of us who were dead in our trespasses and our sins, he made us alive together with him. And he did what? He raised us with him and he did what? He seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So Paul says it's not enough for you to see Christ on the throne or Jesus on the throne. You need to see yourself on the throne with him. And you and him together is the revelation of who the Christ is. So when you're talking about bringing every thought Captive to the obedience of Christ, it's not talking about uh, making your thoughts obey the person of Jesus. It's talking about conforming your thinking to the new reality that has been established—that is, Christ and you together in a union with God. See, for Paul, the revelation was that that that, that reality changed. Reality changed. There is a difference between the. Tr- okay, this sounds really elementary. There is a difference between the truth and a lie. Everybody just, just look at somebody and tell them. There's a difference between the truth and a lie. What's the difference? The truth corresponds to how things really are. A lie does not correspond to how things really are. So for Paul, Christ is the truth. It's the way things really are. Anything other than that, any argument, any thought, any idea, any imagination that is other than that is a lie and it is knowledge against God, the truth. You see it? All right, so if you can get a picture, picture a stronghold, picture a mighty fortress, You've got like an invading army coming in. You've got this mighty fortress. You've got soldiers stationed on the towers. Uh, think about it in ancient terms. You have catapults where they would take huge uh, rocks or uh, fires. And they would propel those uh, from the fortress to the invading army below. They're shooting fiery arrows. All that stuff, right? Resisting this stuff. But ask yourself this question. What is behind that stronghold? What is behind that? Right. What is being guarded? Now, think about the metaphor. Thoughts, arguments, reasonings, imaginations, and ideas that you and I have that are contrary to Christ, that are contrary to this new reality, that are contrary to the knowledge of God, right, is the fortresses that is preventing what? that is preventing the real you from getting out. The true you from getting out. Who you really are. Not who you think you are. Not who you experience yourself to be. But who you really are created by God and the new reality that's come about because of who Christ is and because of who you are. So everything else that you think or feel that is not corresponding with that reality is a lie that you're involved in, and it is that lie that is preventing the truth from setting you free. So in other words, this invading army, are are you catching it? This invading army is information that's coming at you that can break down everything to set you free. So that who you really are can find expression. Because the reality is, is the earth does not need... Oh, I do say this. I don't want to say this. Paul said it this way. I'll say it like Paul said it. That'll get me in less trouble. Paul said in Romans 8, all of creation is groaning and travailing in birth for something. What is that something? In Romans 8, the revelation... The manifestation or the unveiling of the sons and daughters of God. So creation is not waiting for a revelation of Jesus. It's already had the revelation of Jesus. He already came and revealed who he was to creation. What creation is waiting for is the real you and the real me to come out of hiding To come out from behind the fortresses, to come out from behind the strongholds and be revealed. Because when we're revealed, something happens in creation. And Paul goes on and says that creation itself will be liberated into the liberty and the glory of the sons and daughters of God. Go read it in Romans 8. That's how important you are. That's how significant you are. That's why the battlefield is over knowledge. See, the warfare isn't with the devil. Paul never says our weapons are to fight the devil. He does not say that. He does not say our weapons are mighty in God for fighting the devil. There's nowhere in Scripture you're ever told to fight the devil the fight is with ideas the fight is with arguments the fight is with imaginations the fight is with mental constructs that hold you in captivity make no mistake ideas can hold you in captivity ideas thoughts feelings beliefs can take you captive and keep you down and keep you from expressing the fullness of who you are (laughs) so by the same token it is the truth that sets you free. Jesus said if you abide, if you abide in my teaching, you are my disciple indeed, and you will know the truth, and what? The truth will make you free. But it's not the truth that makes you free, it's the truth you know. <laughs> See it? So let's look at, so the, so the real nature of spiritual warfare is not with demonic entities. It is not with the devil. It is not with Satan. It's, it's none of that stuff. Nowhere in Bible are you ever told to pray to Satan, meaning addressing him. Okay, let's think about the Lord's Prayer. Lord, teach us to pray. Okay, our Father, first first step, uh, charismatic Christian, first step, you address our Father who art in heaven. <laughs> you don't address principalities and powers. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, right? And forgive us our trespasses, As we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one in the original language. We say deliver us from evil, but in the original language, deliver us from the evil one. That's how you're supposed to pray. But how does the evil one take you captive? Through your mind. The battlefield, like like Joyce Myers, may she live forever. The battlefield is in the mind. Watch how he explains it. Let's go down a few verses to chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. He says, Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly, and indeed you do bear with me, for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Verse 3. But I fear... Everybody see this. I fear lest somehow... As the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Now, some of your translations say the pure devotion to Christ is terrible. The simplicity that is in Christ. The word simplicity there doesn't mean simple like it's easy. It means purity. It means the absence of duplicity. And I'll talk about that in a minute. But see, what he's saying is under attack is this reality of Christ. And I fear that in the same way that the certain Watch, watch. He's giving us a clue on how the devil operates against you. The devil's going to operate against you the same way he operated against Eve. The same way the devil took Eve's mind captive is the same way the devil's working to take captive the mind of God's church. So it behooves us then to go back and look at how did that happen, which leads us back to Genesis chapter 3. Everything goes back to Genesis in the beginning. But let's look at this. Let's take a fresh look at this. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning or more crafty or more subtle. Than any beast of the field which the Lord God had, which the Lord God had made, and he said to the woman. He didn't make her sick. He didn't afflict her with disease. He didn't make her car break down. He didn't make her husband act up like a jerk. He said something to her. And until you realize that the enemy's only weapon against you is what he says, you'll consistently beat the air and lose in spiritual warfare. When the devil came to Jesus, the devil said to Jesus. Paul, when he talked about his thorn in the flesh, it wasn't an eye disease. He tells you exactly what it is. For centuries, people have battled over what was Paul speculated. What is Paul's thorn in the flesh? He tells you exactly what it is. A messenger of Satan. What does a messenger do? He brings messages. Because the enemy's weaponry is his mouth. That's his assault on you. Alright, let's do it this way. Revelation 12. Revela- you don't have to go there, because we want to stay here. Revel- but let me take you there mentally. Revelation 12. I see a sign of a woman in the heavens. She's got a garland of... St- uh, let's see she's garland of stars she's clothed with the sun and she's got well maybe it's the stars and moon under her feet anyway you, you get it right and she's in travail she's giving birth to something right and she gives birth to a man child right and then it says what the dragon is there doing what ready to devour her the child right as soon as it's born right and war breaks out in heaven and that Michael and the angels fight against the devil and, and, and the the devil is cast out right Cast out of heaven, right? And then the woman is caught up. I mean, not the woman. The the man-child is caught up. And the woman goes into the wilderness. And what's the very next thing? Water begins to pour uh, uh, out of the mouth of the dragon. And envelop the earth. Because the dragon's weaponry, the serpent's weaponry, the devil's weaponry, is what he's doing with his mouth. And the Bible even says there, the accuser of the brethren has been cast down. That accused them before our God day and night. How does an accuser operate? Mouth. So how is it going to operate against you? By planting thoughts in your head. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field to the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now watch this, verse 6. So when, everybody say when. when. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave of her husband with her and he ate. When implies a process of time and change. See, the way I always heard it in Sunday school, the way I always saw it, here's the devil, and who knows what he looks like because he, the serpent, who knows what the serpent looks like because he hadn't been cursed to crawl on the ground yet. So all kinds of different depictions. My personal take is he was a dragon because of Revelation. But I'm a loner in that field. Most people tend to think he walked upright and had legs and whatever, but let's just do the Sunday school lesson. right. So the serpent has a conversation and as soon as he talks to the woman, the woman says, huh, look at that. And she takes an Adam standing there and she takes the fruit and it's like a five minute scene in a movie. But the text itself implies a process of time. When she saw. Now, here's what you need to see. She saw what the serpent said. Let me say that again. She saw what the serpent said. See, her belief about the tree was, don't eat it, don't touch it, something bad's gonna happen. Stay completely away from it. Right? God's protecting us. God, it, God, if we do what God says, it's going to protect us. What does the serpent say? You don't need protection. God isn't good. God is holding out on you. God doesn't want you to have something. God has an ulterior motive. Watch this. God has duplicity. He says one thing and he means something else. He's hiding something. There's duplicity in God. See it? Right? He knows when the day you eat of it you'll be like him knowing good and evil. So I think that was a seed thought that got inside of her that started working on her. I don't think she did it right away. I think she looked at the tree. (sighs) Yeah, but the serpent said. Looked at the tree. Kept meditating on it. Kept thinking about it. But eventually what he said got into her perception of reality. And when it got into her perception of reality, she saw the tree exactly the way the devil described it. You, you, you understand that words paint pictures, right? Yes. If I say, uh, if I say, well, nah, that one's too complex. If I say elephant, you just got a picture of an elephant in your mind. If I say baby elephant. You just got that picture. If I say baby elephant walking with its mom, (laughs) you just got that picture. Baby elephant walking with its mom on the savannah at sunset. See what I did? I just created an image in your mind. Right? But it's easy to dismiss. In fact, you've probably already kind of forgotten about it. What the devil does is imprint words... Until it paints a picture or starts a movie in your mind that becomes so powerful inside of you, it changes your perception of reality. And when it changes your perception of reality, you've been taken captive. The devil, the serpent, the devil had no power to alienate Eve. And had no power to destroy Eve himself. The serpent, if, uh, so Jewish tradition, here's Jewish tradition. Jewish, Jewish tradition about the fall is this. This is the oral tradition. That God created Adam and Eve in his own image. And he announced to all of the angels, pointing at Adam and Eve, and says, behold your God and commands all the angels to bow down and worship before Adam. And Lucifer and some of the others said we will not worship a lesser being. And that's how the fall occurred. Actually it wasn't Lucifer but in your mind it's Lucifer so that's what we're gonna go with. That's Jewish tradition. Make sense? So, if that's true, if the powers of darkness now hate Adam and Eve and they want to destroy Adam and Eve, the truth is they have no power to destroy Adam and Eve. They can only get Adam and Eve to destroy themselves. He can't pluck the fruit and hold her down and force feed her. Does that make sense? He can only get her to make the choice herself by implanting suggestions in the mind to change the meaning, to change the perception of reality. And what Paul is saying is that the same way the serpent did that to Eve, changed her perception of reality, I fear that the serpent is going to come and and paint a different picture for you that's going to change your perception of reality and move you away from the integrity and the simplicity and the purity and the absence of duplicity that is in the reality of Christ because that is truth. So it's not a stronghold unless you perceive it as real, and that's the problem. That's the problem. Because you perceive it as real. You perceive it as truth. Therefore, you're not willing to give it up because to give it up to you feels like believing a lie. I'm going to say that again. It's not a stronghold if you don't perceive it as reality, if you don't perceive it as being true. And so therefore we need mighty weapons to cast down the stronghold because for you to embrace who you really are in Christ is going to feel like a lie. If it's a stronghold, you perceive it as true. Therefore, but it's not true because it's other than Christ. So therefore, for you to make the shift and move back to the reality of Christ, it's going to feel to you like a lie. Because you're perceiving something else as true. Let me give you an example. Uh, Think about any bad thought or feeling that you have that you really believe about yourself. Okay, if that one's too hard, think about a bad thought or feeling that you really feel and believe about someone else who is a brother or sister in Christ. How about that? You really believe it. Oh, come on, guys. Am I the only one that's ever had to wrestle with bad feelings? You guys are all looking at me so sanctimoniously and sanctified and got your church face on. Come on, can we just get rid of the church face and just be real? Have you ever beat up on yourself for a mistake? Have you, have you ever felt ashamed? Have you ever felt regret? And you couldn't get over the shame or the regret? Cause well, that's what happened. That's how it really was. That's what really took place. Am I where you live now? And to deny that feels like you're denying the truth, right? To believe something else feels like you're believing a lie. It could be as simple as anybody ever had trouble forgiving yourself or accepting that you were forgiven for a bad... Anybody ever made a terrible mistake? Sheesh. You guys are hard. This is a hard crowd. And you felt bad about that terrible mistake? And if you're not still feeling bad, then you've walked through this process where at some point... You made a choice to say I am going to accept forgiveness for this mistake. I am going to quit holding myself captive to this mistake. I'm going to quit punishing myself for this mistake. I'm going to quit dwelling upon this mistake, and 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 I'm going to choose to believe that I'm not that bad person. I'm going to choose to believe that I have been forgiven. I'm going to choose to believe that I have been washed in the blood or whatever it was. But you had to make a choice to move away from how you were thinking and feeling strongly about something that you thought was true in order to brace, embrace something that initially might have felt felt like a lie. Like how long do you have to do penance for your mistake? The church will tell you, you know, because they have a list. If it's gossip, two minutes. If it's you lost your temper, uh, a little bit longer. If it's sex, six months to two years. Am I lying? Right? I mean, do you see what I'm saying? So how long do you have to feel bad about something? As long as you think you do. That's really the answer. How many of you ever keep bringing your mistake up to... Okay, here's another one. How many of you ever keep bringing your mistake up to God, like God's relating to you based on your mistake? Right? How many of you believe... Okay, let's do it this way. How many of you believe God is ultimate reality? If you don't, I don't know why you're here. God is ultimate reality. Yes. Yes? yes? And you make a mistake. You sin. And our scriptures tell us over and over that if you confess your sins, he, sins, sons, <laughs> confess your sins, he is faithful and just, forgive your sins and what? Cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But he also says this. He says, your sins and your iniquities, I will not remember. I will not have them in my mind. I will not be thinking about them when I'm thinking about you. But yet, something bad happens. And you say, "Well, I guess God's just teaching me something." Or you keep bringing it up to Him. Well, you know, Lord, that mistake, that horrible thing I did. Well, Lord, you know that that mistake I made. Well, Lord, you know that thing that happened. And if so, what's the truth? The truth is, He has no idea what you're talking about. If he's telling you the truth, he has no idea what you're talking about. How many of you remember different strokes? God, I'm aging my, state, my different. Uh, never mind. Forget it. You know Arnold said, "What you talking about, Willis?" You know, some of you, right? So that's like God when you're bringing up your stuff. He he, he doesn't know about it. You keep telling on yourself. But now here's the thing. If he's ultimate reality, if it doesn't exist in the mind of God, can it have existence? All things were made by him, and without him nothing was made that has been made. And in him all things consist and are held together. So He is the essence and the binding force of all of existence. And yet He says, I don't know what you're talking about. So therefore, can it have any real existence? No. So what existence does it have? The existence that you keep giving it by feeding it over and over again to yourself in your own mind. The only place it's real is between your ears. The only life it has is the life you're giving it, and the only reality it has is the reality that you're making for it, the space that you're creating for it. But in reality, in essence, and in truth, it has. No, it is an empty form. It is an empty form without substance. Without foundation. Yet, if you've made terrible mistakes in your life, to try to believe that to you is going to feel like believing a lie. One of the most powerful things that you can ever experience about events that take place in your life is to understand there is no reality in the event. The only reality it has is the reality in the form that I'm giving it by keeping it alive in my own thought life. That's the primary reason we're told to forgive other people. The primary reason. Because if I don't forgive, I'm keeping that event alive and reliving it over and over and over. And if you ever wake up to the fact that when you've been victimized, you allow that by not forgiving, you allow the perpetrator to victimize you over and over and over and over and over. But the only reality it has is the reality that you're giving it because of your refusal to forgive. If I forgive them, then I'm saying it was okay. These are some of the arguments that you hear. If I forgive them, then I'm saying that it's okay. No, if you forgive them, you're saying you're okay, and they don't have the power to victimize you anymore. I'm not going to take 15 minutes and let it become a tape in my mind that replays over, or whatever it was, an hour, a a month, a year, two, three years, whatever. I'm going to live a lot longer than that. I'm not going to take those isolated events and create a movie in my mind and a tape to play in my mind that will torture me for the rest of my life, which is what I do when I choose not to forgive. Because the only place it exists is up here. And when you realize that, all that stuff loses its power to define, control, and limit who you are. Now, we don't arrive. I mean, maybe you guys have arrived. But, you know, I just recently went through this process myself. Where I'm just thinking and feeling stuff that is agitating my nervous system, making it hard for me to sleep. Causing me problems, causing me discomfort, causing me suffering. (laughs) And the old me would have been, Satan, I bind you in the name of Jesus Christ. I plead the blood over you. (laughs) And I do all that stuff, right? And then I go to bed at night and it's still there. Because I'm beating the air with the other. I'm unbiblical, unscriptural, and actually I'm off in unreality. So, you know how I did spiritual warfare? I'll tell you exactly how I did it. I sat down finally and I said, I'm thinking this about myself. And I just let the thoughts come out. I'm thinking this. I'm thinking this about this other person. I'm feeling this. I'm experiencing this inside. I'm feeling, and I'm feeling this about God. I'm feeling abandoned by God. I'm feeling like God doesn't even know I exist. I'm feeling like God is holding out the fruit of the tree for me. I feel like I have no connection. I feel like I can't hear. Whatever. Going down. Lies that I'd allowed myself. What I was perceiving and feeling in the moment. But see, I'm, I'm... I don't know. Wise enough, experienced enough, lucky enough, fortunate enough, however you want to look at it, to understand that stuff's not true. But it feels true. So I can write it out. And there's something about externalizing your thoughts. There's something about getting it out that is freeing and helpful. Because now you can get a handle on it. Before it had you. (laughs) Ever been in a state of worry that had you? Ever been in a state of fear? You you didn't have the fear, the fear had you. You didn't have the worry, the worry had you. You didn't have the grief, the grief had you. Right? So sometimes just sitting down and writing out... i got about a page and a half of stuff. And I'm like... Okay, I can breathe now. And I look at it. And then I realize, okay, I've, I'm, I'm going to engage the presence of God. This is what I didn't do. This is what I used to do. I'd take the scripture. Well, what does the scripture say? <laughs> and that can be helpful, but it's not as experiential. It's not as powerful for trans- for transformation. The scripture The scripture never says about itself that it's true. Truth is held in a person. Paul talks about it in Ephesians as the truth is in Jesus, not as the truth is in my letters. See, we have the real presence of Christ with us. And so. I've learned how to engage the presence of God. So I just put put myself in my mind, in my thinking, feeling, being in the presence of God. But I thought you felt like God abandoned you. Yeah, but I know know the pathway to His presence because I know how to think and feel in order to get there and experience it. I've done it thousands of times. So I take that pathway into His presence and then I begin to present to Him, Lord, here's this belief. What's the truth? Lord, here's this belief. What's the truth? Lord, here's this belief. What's the truth? Lord, here's this feeling. What's the truth? Lord, here's this internal imagination. What's the truth? See, what am I doing? I'm bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Lord, I'm feeling abandoned right now because I can't find connection with You. And I'm feeling abandoned. And what do I hear? I hear very subtly in my thought life, You're my Son. How could I possibly ever abandon you. I said I will be with you always even to the end of the age that I will never leave you nor forsake you. It's impossible for you to be abandoned throughout all eternity. I'll be with you. You can never be abandoned. How could I abandon you when you're my son? And what happens to that feeling of abandonment? It's gone. Why? Because it had no reality to begin with because the truth tell your neighbor the truth is not the same as the lie see however much lie the, however much power the lie had to hold you in captivity the truth has that much more power to break through and set you free but you engage in a relationship with the lord it really is that simple it really is that simple. And then once it's once once and then and then you know what happened? It took me thirty-seven minutes. Because I was listening to something on the headphones while I was doing it. Started, stopped at 37 minutes. Thirty-seven minutes of just writing down all the junk that was inside me, and then taking it one by one, step by step, into the presence of God and letting him speak truth in my life. And something I'd been dealing with for days, tormenting for days, was over. In 37 minutes, and I haven't been tormented by it since. Awesome. That is not just good teaching; that is good spiritual warfare, because you're actually doing it. You're actually doing the stuff. Sometimes, going—I'm a counselor by training, professional. Sometimes counseling doesn't help because all you do is keep the problem alive and here's the problem we, as a counselor you're compensated based on the problem not based on the well-being i remember when i finally got like a real my first real paying customer <laughs> and what i mean by that was i was making more per hour than the person working at mcdonald's because <laughs> i have a soft heart i'll work with anybody but I get a, a well-paid professional coming to me has to take board examinations to keep their license, and is terrified and anxious. This is, how, this is crazy. And I thought and, and, and they have to take them every so years, ever so many years. And this lady always had to hire a counselor to get her through, and she had months of preparation. So I thought, man, I got months of income coming in here. This is going to be nice, because I was charging like 150 bucks for a session. And I thought, man, I could do 10 sessions, 1,500 bucks. Man, this is going to be awesome. (laughs) And this person comes before me and has a doctorate degree and two master's degrees. Which means bachelor, master's, doctorate, and another master's. That's a lot of education. And here's how it went down. I'm just terrible at tests. My response... You ought to be ashamed of yourself. I mean, I don't understand something. You got a master's, you got a doctorate and an MBA. Which means, in your life, you've taken a lot of tests. Now, I'm bad at tests. I'm not really, but I'm trying to help her. I'm bad at tests. I mean, how unfair of you. I mean, how much do you despise other people to say that you, with all your credentials, are terrible at taking tests? Well, 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 I never thought of it that way before. (laughs) How many times have you passed the boards? How many times have you taken the boards? However many times. How many times have you passed them? So you're still afraid of all this? You're just making that up in your head. (laughs) You're just choosing to believe that you're bad at tests. You're, You're going against insurmountable evidence that you're great at it. 20 minutes. $150. Never saw her again. <laughs> but I know a close friend. So it wasn't because I offended her and she wanted to go find a different coach or counselor. It was because in that 20 minutes that lie dissolved and she was set totally free. And so here's my point. Sometimes going to counseling, we compensate them. Do you ever think about you, pay, you only pay the doctor in the hospital when you get sick? What if we came up with a health care plan? This would transform health care. If we came up with a health plan that told the medical system if you keep them healthy, you get paid. The moment they get sick, you stop getting paid and you have to treat them. What would happen? What would pharmaceutical companies immediately start trying to come up with? Preventative medicine. Instead of treatment medicine. Man, we better find a prevention for cancer instead of a treatment for cancer or we're going to lose money. It's just a thought. It's the same thing with counseling. Sometimes you go to a counselor and you're just keeping your, your poop alive. (laughs) And they're agreeing with you. Oh, that's terrible. Tell me more. Oh, you poor dear. <laughs> I'm not saying don't go to Cal. I, I go to a really good therapist. A really good therapist. And I'm thankful to have that in my life. And I need that in my life. So I'm not saying don't. I'm just saying, find somebody, if you do that, find somebody that wants to grow and change with you, not keep you where you're stuck. Just to keep a client. And remember, just a little piece of advice. If you go to a counselor, that person works for you. You don't work for them. They don't set the agenda. You set the agenda. All right. Enough said about that. Hopefully that helps somebody. And there's lots of good ones out there. Don't get me wrong. I believe in it, obviously. I'm just not making a lot of money at it. (laughs) At the moment. But it's not my main calling either. Why did I get into all of that? Because the only place your problem exists is in your inner life. And so if you're going for help, it needs to be to terminate that, not keep reviving it every time. But to break that down, terminate those patterns, and set you free so you can get on with something else. Amen? But you can do good therapy on yourself by just writing out your junk. And be honest. Don't sanctify it. If you're sitting there thinking, God, what a dumbass. Don't think, oh, i gotta, I got to make that pretty. Just write, I'm a dumbass. <laughs> and then take it to the presence of God. And let him set you free from that stinking thinking. All right, Let's stand up. <laughs> Don't be afraid to believe good things about yourself because it feels like a lie. Don't be afraid to believe good things about yourself Because it feels like a lie. You may just find out it's the truth. And all that other stuff you've been thinking and feeling was the lie. In fact, you probably will. Let's pray. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for the wonder of who you are. Thank you for your incarnation, your involvement in our lives. Thank you for your real presence that has come to live inside of us and empower us and give us life and give us truth and speak to our hearts and set us free. Father, I pray for every person who's struggling in their life, struggling mentally, emotionally, struggling with shame, struggling with bitterness, struggling with grief, struggling with fear and anxiety and panic. Lord, all those things are just mental constructs. Their internal experiences is all that they are. And so I'm asking right now for the power of your truth, for the spirit of wisdom and revelation, for the spirit of might to come into the inner man and empower us to believe the truth, Lord to set us free from everything that the serpent would sow into our hearts and into our minds, every movie, every image, every limitation that would play in the deep places of our hearts. We thank you for the light of your love and the light of your truth, exposing those things for what they are as lies, breaking the power of them and completely destroying them from our lives. For truly we stand in solidarity today with the Scriptures and with the Apostle Paul and we say the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are truly mighty in God to the demolishing of strongholds, the casting down of arguments and imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought in captivity and submission to the reality of the Christ. And we give you thanks and we give you praise in Jesus' name. If you can agree with that this morning, just say, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.